Hey guys, thanks for joining us on another episode of the Body Clock Podcast by O-Waves. If you haven't already, please remember to download the free O-Waves app on the Apple App Store. It's the number one wellness app on the App Store. It's fun, it's easy to use, and it will allow you to effectively plan your day. It works great as a visual planner, and please remember to tell your friends and family. Also, if you're enjoying the show, please do us a huge, huge favor and leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. As always, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Cameron, if if you don't mind, just so that we can uh, sort of bring uh, our listeners up to speed, uh, just to tell us a little bit about how you got into medicine itself. Uh, part of the O-Waves dynamic was that it came about from Royon's experience with medical school and all the uh, the trials and tribulations of going through that and touching on what Soheb said with doctors being some of the most unhealthy people, at least in America. I'm not sure how it is in, in the UK and around the world, but uh, over here, they're sort of, uh, they're not exactly practicing the, the, the concept of like, um, you know, practicing what they preach really. So uh, if you don't mind just to let listeners know like uh, a little bit about your journey through the Olympics into medical school and then how you got into a CrossFit and rowing rod. Yeah, absolutely. So I very traditionally in the UK, so you can go into medical school straight from school as in from high school. So I, as an 18 year old, arrived to University College London Medical School, uh, which is one of the top medical schools in the country um, with no real agenda other than to study really hard and to become a doctor, mainly driven out of my fascination with the human body. Like I'm still to this day always amazed at, at what we can do with these bodies that we have. Um, and I just naturally gravitated towards a career in medicine because I love the kind of the social interaction with people and working in teams. And I love being challenged kind of regularly on a short term basis, but also with kind of long term career challenges. So I think that the, the, the way that medicine was set up from a kind of professional um, standpoint just naturally gravitated to my personality. So I worked pretty hard at high school and, and found myself there and quickly realized that it was hard and I needed a little bit of a break from the day-to-day -day studying. So, you know, intense hours as you know, many, many people kind of probably understand. Um, but I really needed a bit of a release for medical school and I turned to kind of exercise or movement as that way I could get away from the stress of studying. Um, at first I looked for some basketball clubs. Um, there wasn't any that sort of fitted in with what I wanted to do with medicine. Uh, and I quickly found myself, on the river and the river thames with the university of london boat club and for me that just started a huge detour um, where i got presented with an opportunity to row to a very high level uh, and I, I took that um, so we can go into sort of what what that path led me to but essentially i arrived at medical school pretty stereotypically out of high school um, worked pretty hard at that and had this sort of almost six year detour to do Olympic rowing and was in the Olympic squad. And since that kind of journey had come to a close after the London 2012 Olympics, I returned back, finished off my medical degree. And then I've sort of found myself in the world of fitness um, and things have sort of spiraled out there with lots of different ventures. Wow, Cam. So, I mean, it seems like you're someone who seems to rise up to challenges and if you see the parallels between medicine in one way being demanding cognitively and kind of endurance of studying and organization, I'm sure a lot of those principles, I mean, you take to excel in medicine from your kind of rowing career where I'm, you have to be extremely disciplined and organized as well as that 
mental toughness to kind of train, um, you know, have your nutrition on point. So where do you see your kind of, have you been able, these transferable skills between rowing and medicine, uh, have they helped you? Or would you say they were complete different um, things that you were doing at the time? Well, I mean, the a few flags to plant. The first is that to be an Olympic rower and to be the best in the world at sport, it's not optimal to also do a medical degree. Um, mm -hmm. And then flipping it round to be a really good doctor and to excel at medical school, it's, it's not good to be a professional athlete. So I definitely wouldn't be recommending that as a pathway to people if you wanted to be successful in either one. I just found myself in that situation. So as an 18, 18 and a half year old, um, I picked up my first oar and then almost within 18 months of that around medical school, I was just training really hard um, because I enjoyed it. And I found myself in the Great Britain under 23 team and I won a world championship, an under 23 world championship medal. Um, and then fast forward 18 months after that, I had an invite into the Olympic squad. Um, so that was the big sort of pivot point for me. Um, so I, I would say that I actually acquired a lot of skills that I didn't even realize I was acquiring. Um, you know, everyone kind of in job interviews talks about time management and leadership and, you know, being able to compartmentalize your day and being able to maximize all your skills through, you know, all these sorts of things that we, we sort of hear, but we don't really understand. I don't think, well, certainly I didn't as an 18, 19 year old, um, what, what they really meant, but I was fitting a lot into my days. Um, I was waking up very early. I was training before lectures and I was studying really hard during the day and then reversing that procedure in the evening. Um, and I found myself at a point in 2008 after the Beijing Olympics where the national team coach said, hey, you've got this opportunity to be in the Olympic squad and we want to win Olympic gold medals in London 2012. Do you want to, do you want to be on board? And, you know, sort of almost like that kind of cartoon where you have a, a devil and a, an angel on your shoulder. One was going, well, yeah, you've got to do this. <laughs> and the other one was going, Dude, you've, also got to, you've got to finish your medical degree, mate. I mean, you've got to be a doctor. Um, so I was, I was very fortunate in that even though they didn't complement each other in terms of optimal strategy for success, I found a way where one completely distracted me from the other, uh, where when I was focused on making boats go fast, that was, that was what my world was. And then when I was in the dissection room or in, in, in the hospital or in lecture theaters, I was trying to be the best doctor I could be. Um, so in a way, they, they, I made them complementary. Um, and, my, and my medical school were in so supportive of um, that kind of complementary um, partnership where we had, you know, the Olympic rowing team were very supportive of my medical studies and my medical school were, were very supportive of, of the training. So we sort of found a way to make it work. And I went part time at medicine for a couple of years and then I took two full years out of uh, medical studies um, and was very, you know, very pleased that I managed to make that work because I then finished the 2012 Olympics um, with two world championship silver medals and was in Team GB for those games, home Olympics, and then finished off my medical degree in the last couple of years after the game. So I found myself as a kind of 20, 25, 26 year old having you know, graduated and become a doctor and then had also been to a home Olympic games, which is pretty cool. I don't think many people can say that. I mean, being an Olympian in itself is such a rare thing i mean you have to be in the top 0.001 of your what you do and then on top of that being a doctor which is quite demanding as well um 
so you're in a very unique position there but you must have had this athletic potential growing up obviously um um, genetics and training growing up has a lot to do with this so so when you were younger you must have identified the talents in the field of athletics and kind of you know rowing i mean when i so i'm tall i'm six and a half feet tall i'm 100 kilos i've got long arms long legs like i'm built for rowing absolutely um i was always um a i was always pretty sporty at school and i tried a lot of different things um but I think it was probably a combination of I was in the right place at the right time uh, where I was six years out from the London Olympics mm. and there was a lot of talent ID going on at the, at the time. Um, and I started to get good at rowing and that fueled the habit of me continuing to progress my, um, my habit of training hard. So in a way it was this sort of perfect sort of system where I got better and I that sort of progression fueled my habit to get continue to get better. Um, but absolutely, I, de I definitely have a genetic predisposition to it. Um, but, but there's, I mean, you know, 7 billion humans on the planet. There are lots of people that are six and a half feet tall and 100 kilos. Um, and, and I feel that I had, yes, okay, a certain mental toughness, call it that, a dedication to the, to the tasks ahead. But I think I had an unfair advantage where, you know, in, in the UK, we're pretty good at rowing. And that we have a very good support system, almost like a conveyor belt that can make the next generation of Olympians. Um, and so I relied heavily on the support of British rowing, the coaches, the support staff, essentially to turn me from these raw ingredients into the finished product. Um, and I, it's also worth saying, like, I didn't win the Olympics. Like for me, it's still, you know, I, I look back on my rowing career as something that I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, which was winning an Olympic gold medal. Um, so, you know, there are lots of people that, you know, we, we gear our system up to be producing Olympic champions. Um, but there's, there's quite a lot of um, la almost not lack of achievement. But there's, there's quite a lot of um, failure, if you like, in inverted commas uh, along the way where, you know, I was lucky enough to be even going to the Olympics. But, you know, I had tens, if not more friends that had put their life on the line for a number of years and, and, and fell by the wayside along the way. So, yeah, in, in coming full circle, I have the physiology. I was in the right place at the right time. I have a fantastic support system in, in British rowing and the GB rowing team. Uh, and, and obviously had to commit wholly and fully to, to doing that, just to have a chance of being able to, to go. I mean, you set very high standards for yourself. And I mean, the UK rowing legacy, we, we have a very proud legacy. So that does make things, you know, a lot tougher because you feel even if you perform at such a high level, it's not a gold yeah. medal, but um, um, I mean, yes, it's a double-edged sword. You're right. I mean, because we have, because we have such success um, historically, it breeds more success, I think. But it also does put a pressure because the country expects success. Um, but I would definitely rather that than having, you know, for instance, our British basketball team are not great. <laughs> compared to other nations <laughs> the americans I mean, they're, they're amazing amazing athletes and they're, they're great at basketball compared to you know anyone else in the world but compared to other nations and people in the nba it's um it's it's not quite there and they've really struggled at an international olympic level and so i would definitely prefer to be in a system of the rowing team than than the basketball team in, in britain and you emphasize coaching and coaching is, is very important and you had that kind of that, that micro environment which helped shape you um, Absolutely. I mean, coaching is, 
I, I mean, I've come into, there's a few thoughts with that. It's made me, it made me the athlete I was without the coaches I had right from the beginning. For, so Chris O'Hara was an Aussie guy. He was my first coach at medical school, right the way up until Jürgen Grobler, who was the chief coach that's won Olympic gold medal at every single Olympic Games for modern, you know, modern history since I can remember. That's insane. Um, yeah, and I think he's it's something ridiculous. Like he's, I think, one of the most successful Olympic coaches of all time. It's, it's something like, because he started in 91 for Great Britain. So 92 was his first um british team games but he was in germany before that but for the uk for, for great britain he's won olympic gold medals in 92 96 2000 2004 2008 2012 2016 like every single olympics since he's got a gold medal um and so you you can't help but learn from that experience um and i've, I've definitely become a stronger more resilient person because of that um, and i would even hesitate to say that i've used almost used that athlete coach model in medicines where I've almost viewed my consultants and my peers as you know coaches and I, I almost absorb that information and that criticism or that constructive um, feedback as coaching and same in you know now I run a you know some fitness ventures I, I view feedback as, as almost coaching cues and I try and constantly search out for mentors or for people that I want to kind of em role models that I want to emulate in life. And, and I do feel as though I'm, it's, it's almost like me gravitating back into that kind of coach athlete relationship, which I found so valuable. I had a quick question for you, Cam. So right now I'm sure you're aware that, you know, body clock management and circadian rhythm science is sort of, uh, you know, spreading like wildfire all over the world. And uh, many people are coming on to this new information and realizing how important it is to manage that. Um, being somebody who has like such like a intimate experience with like performing at an extremely elite high level, such as like the Olympics, how much of a, an emphasis on like circadian rhythm management or, or I guess rest management, diet management, lifestyle sort of management does uh, like an Olympic uh, team sort of place on their athletes or like an Olympian themselves place on themselves? Is that something yeah. that's considered or? It's, it is absolutely considered. Um, I think what's probably helpful to answer that question fully is, I mean, I, obviously I can only speak about the rowing team and I can only really speak about the heavyweight men team because that was the one that I was intimately linked with first in you know, four to six years. Um, the, the goal is to try and create boat speed. And so you, you kind of work from first principles, right? You need to try and create fast boats. Well, what do you need for fast boats? You need all the gear. Yeah, fine. Put that to one side. But you need really, really good athletes. So what does a good athlete look like? Well, you know, for, for rowing, it's a power endurance sport. So dissecting that physiolo physiology slightly, like once you've got enough power, endurance is the main driver. So you need a massive aerobic capacity. How do you build aerobic capacity? Well, it's a shitload of volume. It's just volume and volume and volume, you, increasing that alveolar capillary, um, capillary density, you know, making sure that we can maximize that vital capacity um, compared to your total lung capacity, trying to produce you know, small, li as little lactate as possible because you're banging that aerobic zone for as long as possible um, when you're racing. And so for, for rowers, what that comes down to is you need to be able to do a hell of a lot of training. And if you're doing a hell of a lot of training, you need to recover incredibly well. So as a rough rule of thumb, like we probably train between 20 to 25 hours a week of, um, of rowing training, which is a combination of in the boat, on the, wa uh, on the water in the boat, on land, on the machines, or in the weight room. Um, 
but we would be told that in addition to that 20 to 25 hours of training, we would need to be resting for about 20 to 25 hours a week outside of sleep. So, you know, forget your eight to 10 hours of sleep a night, like outside of that sleep, you also need to be, you know, resting 20 to 25 hours. So, I mean, like, just think about what that looks like. That's like a 40 to 50 hour a week job where you're just training and resting. Um, and so we would do all sorts of things. So we have a nutritionist that recommends, you know, what kind of food we eat, which is basically just a lot of what people would recognize as a relatively healthy diet. Um, we had, you know, different supplements are all batch tested. So, you know, different electrolytes and, you know, post-workout uh, meals. And we would also do things like regularly having sleep tests. So we'd have um, these little sort of three-way accelerometer wristbands where we would monitor, you know, wear them for a week and monitor our sleep. And particularly around coming up to competition time, just seeing who was a bit more restless, who wasn't quite getting their sleep, who needed a bit more horizontal time. Um, and, and we were in a, in a well, we are in the rowing team, an Olympic sport with relatively limited budget. This just scales completely up when the prizes are bigger. So, you know, premiership football or American sports like NFL, I'm sure this is all being done because what essentially you want to try and get to is a place where you can sit on the start line and look back and realize that you have left no stone unturned and there is no reason why you you know if you lose a race by a hundredth of a second it's because you did your absolute best and you haven't got that little nagging thought in the back of your mind of oh, bugger that those three weeks in the winter where i wasn't sleeping that well could that have been that two hundredths that i needed to win the olympics um and so yeah coming full circle to answer your question absolutely all of this is dissected under a microscope um, to try and create as optimal athletes as possible. That's really interesting that, uh, you know, that the, the British like, uh, Olympic body seems to be like, or seem to have been aware of like the effects of, uh, uh, additional rest and just like, uh, you know, additional sleep. Cause an additional 25, you said 25 to 30 hours a week on top of like your standard eight to 10 a day. Well, basically, we used to roughly, as a rule of thumb, roughly one to one. So, like, if you do, if you do a ninety-minute row session, we try and you try and get rested for you know ninety minutes. So, it's not always practical. It's not like it's not like the day can be separated and train for two hours, rest for two hours, train for two hours, rest. For, like, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, but normally, we'd start training at half seven, finish by about three or four, with some breaks in between, obviously. And you just spend the rest of that day almost like passed out horizontal um, in the afternoons. And, and that would be in addition to sleep. Um, and it sounds, it sounds like it's a big eureka, like, whoa, I mean, the British rowing team, you know, you're way ahead of the game because, you know, lots of people don't know about this. But honestly, it's an absolute necessity because the, the training, you, I think particularly for endurance sports, the training you do drives that recovery because you start to become a very – a very boring, very simple person because your brain, I don't think is functioning at uh, mine certainly wasn't my colleagues certainly weren't when you're just that fatigued from that volume of endurance training. Um, so that, that rest is absolutely uh, a necessity. What are the best ways to be resting? I mean, there's new research with things like, well, people are trying things like sensory deprivation and what, what would you say are the best ways to rest? Well, I, I, I would say the best way is what you can fit into your lifestyle. I mean, it's, there's a, a lovely Tim Ferriss thing, which is where, you know, the optimal way to burn calories might be like running uphill, carrying loads of juggling bowling balls. But you know, if you're never going to do the bowling, 
bloody point, right? I mean, so it, it's what's practical, basically. I mean, I, I think there's that, that first, I mean, if you think about, I mean, in, in great scientific conditions, if you think about 100% optimal recovery is, you know, you've got an eye mask on, you've got your earplugs in, you're in some sort of sensory deprivation float tank with lovely whale music, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> If you kind of, I think the first 80% is basically getting yourself horizontal so you can increase venous return and you can just make sure that everything is not that, not as weight-bearing and you're not using that much energy. And then get as close to a sleep state as you can. And whether if that is actually nodding off into sleep, great. If it's just closing your eyes and trying to you know, be a bit meditative or mindful, then then that's cool. I think people overcomplicate this a lot. Um, and I think almost... A, 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 a little bit of a thing that we do in society, which is we try and get the finer details. Like, oh, you know, what branch chain amino acid powder do I need to take? Or like, oh, what, what brand of earplugs do I need? It's like, mate, yeah. you're going to bed at one in the morning and you're eating KFC. Like, first, like, have a better diet. Like, grab the big things first, right? Um, and, and that's just, that's just that's basic athletic performance. But it's also, you know, I think a recipe for success in life, which is, just do the basics really well, and that gets you way further than people that are trying to overcomplicate things with whatever type of, type of chili pad they need to have to sleep. You know, all, all these gadgets, and that's that's an Olympian telling us that. <laughs> so yeah. um, the low-hanging yeah. fruit, and, and there are other chilled, um, there are other chilled devices available, not just the chili bag. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we had Jack Crandler on, uh, who's actually my mentor on the Clinical Entrepreneur Program. Oh, uh, is he? Yeah, I know Jack. He's good. Yeah, CHHP, and he was saying about how the low-hanging fruit first needs to be addressed before you know moving upstream. Yeah, I mean it's just basic common sense, but I think we get lost along the way sometimes. I'm just curious, what's the VO2 max of a rower? Or, or do rowers have the, the best VO2 max out of most athletes? I think, um, I think that, so yes, I think, I mean, probably into a bit of a, I mean, yes, I think so. Uh, I don't want to get people going, like, oh, no, these people are. Um, so Tour de France cyclists, it, I mean, it's a different way to calculate it, right? So VO2 max, and then you can also have your, um, uh, max per kilo. So I think Tour de France cyclists come out slightly better in per kilo. Because they're um, a bit smaller as well, aren't they? Because they're quite like they're about 65, yeah. 70 kilos, aren't they? Like yeah. we're about heavyweight men are about 100 kilos. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a bit, yeah, a bit heavier. Um, I, I can't, mine wasn't great in terms of the, the, the team, but my buddy, Mo, so Mo Spihi's Olympic champion, Rio, um, he. He had a, just an absolute massive, I think it was something like 70 milliliters. I mean, I mean what was it seven? I can't remember the units actually. He was, he was huge VO2 max and it oh, was still, really? um, his 2K time is five minutes and 40 seconds. Wow. Um, which is a sort of 125 pace for anyone wow. listening. Um, so, I mean, and he just can produce, and an interesting from a sort of physiological point of view, he doesn't produce much lactate. So most of that performance is driven from his aerobic zone. Um, but yeah, rowers do have big, big VO2 max. I couldn't actually give you, in fact, I shouldn't as well, just in case there are rival countries listening. It was high 60, 70 milliliters per kilo per minute or whatever it was. Um, I, oh, wow. But don't, don't quote me on the, um, on the units. Big, big VO2 maxes. 
That's incredible. I mean, machines. <laughs> um, and with Rowing Wad, um, could you tell us about that? I mean, it's, it's you, yeah. you're a founder, and um, yeah, I mean, it's similar to the fact that I started medical school and then started rowing as a complete accident. I mean, rowing workout of the day or rowing wad is a complete accident. I, I basically started working as a doctor in August, 2015. And at the same time, I realized I'd been in the world of kind of like CrossFit and fitness for a couple of years. And I realized that rowing was in my opinion, being undervalued by the fitness industry. Um, so people would kind of get on and do it for five minutes as a kind of warm up, and then go on to something else for their, like, you know, their real workout. Um, and I was like, well, this is quite depressing that I walk into most gyms and I do like 20 minutes and people think I'm some sort of mental case. Um, and I was like, cause like 20 minutes is quite a short workout. And also when I looked in gyms, I was looking around and seeing, you know, it would be the equivalent of walking in on the treadmill and seeing someone like running backwards on a treadmill or, you know, sort of skipping on a treadmill. I'd be like, everyone's doing it quite, quite you poorly. <laughs> Um, so I just sort of took it on myself to just essentially, I, I wrote a small little program to try and get people, give people the tools to row a bit faster and to just figure out what they were doing. Um, and then it just spiraled a little bit out of control. So I, um, I, I started to work with some of the, the world's fastest or world's best crossfitters. Um, and I realized then that actually even these guys, the kind of the fittest on earth still could be much better at rowing in my opinion. Um, and so with that sort of, um, I guess, vehicle through working with those guys and then with just being active on social media and saying yes to lots of exciting opportunities and working hard to pursue those and to, and to ensure that they turned into successes, it just grew from this small little blog to what it is now, which is a, an online subscription base with loads of people following the program, got classes in some boutique gyms. Uh, and I've been very fortunate to just to go all around the world spreading the rowing love. Um, and it's been, it's been a fun adventure. And I've, I've learned loads about the world of business and startup and you know entrepreneurship, not because it's what I wanted to do, um, it is now, but it's just this sort of lovely accident that happened and i've absorbed lots of information and met loads of cool people along the way it's it's pretty refreshing to hear from an olympian like yourself that you consider crossfitters to be like the fittest on earth because here in san diego where i'm from like there's a very strong crossfit base and they do events like the reindeer games and uh I, I was at one of them recently because I have some friends that are pretty serious CrossFitters. And even, I mean, I look at them and I'm blown away at how athletic they are. And, you know, I mean, they're they're physical specimens and they're competing still like at like the intermediate levels. And so so is is there something that you would say that like a CrossFit champion, like some of the ones you've worked with yourself, like uh, was it Annie? Was it Annie Thorstadter and yeah, so she's one one of them, one of the um, ladies, and one of the yeah. I mean, let me let me. Um, I so I don't. We can compare into rabbit holes now. I don't think that they're the fittest on earth because I don't think that you can define the fittest on earth. Okay, is my opinion. Um, Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, defines the fittest on earth as you know the people that win the CrossFit Games, which is fine. Um, and I and I love I love the CrossFit Games and I love CrossFit and I love what Greg Glassman has done for the world with his venture. I just you know, for instance, taking you know, Mo Farah to run the 5k and 10k times that he can, you know, Phelps to swim as fast as he can, Mo to do what he can do on the machine and on the water, and Matt Fraser or Annie Thorisdotter to do what they can on on those stages. 
I just feel it's almost unfair to compare people to try and find what the fittest on earth because I just feel as though all of these people deserve those crowns. Um, having said that, I love the structure that exists in CrossFit to try and define that. So I think it's probably the the next best um, offering, if you can, to try and find those fittest on earth people. Um, and so I do, I mean, I use it because it's their terminology. I am always blown away by um, the CrossFit community, both from a kind of um, community and a almost kind of a team point of view, but, but the way that they teach movement and the way that that's, you know, I define myself as a CrossFitter, the journey that I've been on to acquire new skills after Olympic rowing has just been fantastic. And, you know, Annie is a great example. She's just picks up movement really, really well. She can deadly, you know, well, she does five by five deadlift at 170 kilos. She can, you know, row a 2K in almost seven minutes. She can, you know, run a mile in probably, I don't know, five and a half, six minutes. And she can do like muscle ups, handstand walk, all these different things. And I just think that's just a fantastic example for new generations to see what, you know, human capacity is capable of. Um, and the other thing, so, I mean, Annie's a great example of, she, she came down to Molsey Boat Club, which is my boat club in, um, in the UK. And we just went out in a boat just because she was interested and wanted to see what it was like. And it was quite funny, really, because, so I'd done a little bit of work with her. And, and so Yami Tikkanen is her coach who runs the training plan. Um, and he's just a really intelligent chap. And so I went out to Iceland and coached a few of his athletes and, and I dial into the fundamentals of using your body weight and making sure you can kind of rock over and all these kind of basic things that I like to coach on the machine, not because anyone's ever going to go on the water, but just because they're optimal for that rowing movement to get the most out of yourself and therefore the most speed. And so we, we anyway, full circle, she came down to the boat club and she was like, Oh, I want to get in the boat. And so we, we went on these things called sliders, which are really quite tricky if you've never been on them before. And, you know, I'm sure there are some rowers listening who are like, yeah, yeah, I've been on some sliders and, you know, bang the front, bang the back. And you can look like a bit of a novice if you just don't know what you're doing. And I just said to her, just just row like you, like, like I've been teaching you on that machine. You know, get that body weight over, you know, rock over. And she was like, what, like like this? And she just started rowing like perfectly, just beautifully on the sliders. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, just just like that. And so like, <laughs> in her mind, she was like, oh, this is great. This is easy. You just go, let's get in the water. But, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, shit, I mean, if this was just a rower, a big, tall person that we're teaching to row, it would have been, I don't know, taking you maybe a week or two to figure it out. So the the elite side of that sport, you know, the the Catherine Davids daughters, the Matt Frazers, you know, they, they just absorb movement fantastically well. And because they have so many skills in so many different categories, it actually transfers really nicely into like what? like the unknown and the unknowable so they can get presented with this physical task of whatever it will be but because they you know there's not really a human movement that they haven't yet tried or they've got some sort of variant of um they're just much better at it than your average person and so if you took mo spihi or mo farah or you know michael phelps and you said right we're gonna do i don't know 50 repetitions of this weird thing the crossfitter would actually be the person that will do that the best probably because of all the meta skills that they already have. So that's what I find really interesting. So they're a lot more adaptable um, to the movement. Yeah. So it's called GPP. So general physical preparedness. I mean, it's, it really, it's how I train now is I just like to be really good at life, you know? And what I mean by that is when I was rowing, I, you know, my 2k was five minutes and 48 seconds. And yet when I, I couldn't stand up for more than two hours without getting a sore back, 
Um, and I was always tired. Like, so there's always this kind of trade-off where when you're specifically designed for a certain task, you do limit other abilities. And so, you know, I love being able to now hands down walk and do muscle ups and snatches and you know, all these different things because I feel like I'm actually now, weirdly, even though I'm less fit from a rowing point of view, um, mm. I'm, I'm fitter, inverted commas, in Greg Glassman's definition, in CrossFit's definition, because I can do more other stuff. Um, and I, you know, I feel the best I've ever felt, really. Uh, and, I, and I'm enjoying my fitness probably a lot more when there's no sort of purpose to it other than just to kind of be fit and feel, feel fit and strong. That's a very intelligent point because um, same same with O waves. We're trying to like everyone to balance the five domains of um, lifestyle medicine rather than just kind of just concentrating on nutrition without the exercise and sleep, just on sleep because you need kind of a well-rounded. Um, Absolutely, and I also feel strongly that I don't think it's necessarily right to try and um, push a methodology or philosophy to the population of, you know, 7 billion people from, you know, less than 0.1% of the high performers in the world in terms of from a sports point of view, like just because Olympic athletes do it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should be doing it because what Olympic athletes do are specific things to try and hit a specific task, which will then get them an Olympic gold medal. Um, I, I, I get much more satisfaction from, and that's kind of where rowing wad lies, is it just gets people off the couch and onto the machine. And what that does is it means that you live a, a healthier life, you feel a bit fitter, feel a bit stronger. And so your goal doesn't have to be to win an Olympic gold medal. It doesn't have to be to hit a certain time. Um, it can just be to you know be better at life and to pick up your grandkids and to you know run around with a little bit less uh, huff and puff. Um, and it, I just think it's incredibly important to be able to, do that as human beings because you know for me the two commodities that i hold really dear to me are my health and my time and so anything that can you know maximize my time and my health i i'm in um so yeah you mentioned time um you mentioned a figure of 20 minutes previously that uh, can can you do a workout in 20 minutes and that's something yeah you absolutely you can i mean i was on a i was on a telly show a while back which was comparing i watched that <laughs> yeah. did you <laughs> i did indeed yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, but that was a very simple, I think, was it 20 minutes then or maybe it was 30 minutes? It just compared running to rowing. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, for me, that's why I kind of want to, and I continue to shout the flag for rowing, which is that it's a time efficient and total body workout and it's low impact. And so you can kind of, yeah, you burn a load of calories in a few amount of time. Great. If you want to lose some weight, great. That helps. But it uses 86% of the musculature of the body, nine major muscle groups. Um, and it connects the hand and feet in sort of one long kinetic chain. So for me, that's a lovely movement that can kind of cross over into many more things, like, you know, stacking shelves or, you know, holding random objects rather than just, you know, a, a bit of spinning on a bike or even going for a run. Um, and so, yeah, anything that I think that can give you your time back. So if you can do in 20 minutes what, you know, you were doing in an hour, you've, you've got 40 minutes to do things that you really want to do. But equally, if you really enjoy fitness, then, you know, spend your time doing fitness. That's, that's absolutely fine too. But for a lot of people, fitness is quite difficult. And if rowing can produce the results in 20 minutes in terms of if you look at data and if you minimize risk of in injury, I mean, you can become more functional, um, your aerobic capacity is increasing, you're losing weight. Um, and it's time efficient. I think it suits a lot of people. I mean, I, I'm actually, 
I do a few things for David Lloyd Health Clubs here in the UK. Yeah. And Blaze is one of the new classes they've launched. And the whole kind of purpose is it's, it's 40 minutes of intensity where you can kind of get your heart rate to a point, um, which is kind of really testing your aerobic capacity. But you're also yeah. burning about 500, 600 calories, which wouldn't be done for a normal person walking into a gym, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Out. I mean, for me, I think almost taking one step back, for me, I think that the thing that we need to be doing in the world of fitness and in health is offering things that are fun and things that are simple. Because fitness is, I think, it can be fun when you're doing something you enjoy. So if you don't enjoy rowing, like don't do it. I mean, it's really simple. I mean, if you enjoy dancing or if you enjoy weightlifting or you enjoy yoga or you enjoy running, like do that. What I would kind of offer though is that we grew up running and we grew up cycling, but we don't grow up rowing. And because it's a foreign movement, what you can do or what I can do with people is I can kind of show you how to do it a bit better. And that almost reveals a lovely little um, journey that you can go on into in mastering that movement. And so when you embark on that journey, it's almost like fueling that habit that I, you know, I've spoken about earlier, which is I got better at rowing, so I continued to do it more. That was quite fun. And so you have that sort of natural habit arc that continues. Whereas in running, if you've been running all your life, you know, going a little bit faster sometimes isn't that enjoyable. Um, so, so there's that component to it. But also because there's so many people for me that I think get bogged down in like this, this weird, complicated world of fitness. So I'm glad you mentioned you know, Blaze. Like, I don't feel like marketing is the way to go with fitness to kind of create these new you know, complicated ways of you've got, do, you've got a certain number of reps on this exercise and then do a certain number of reps on this. And, that's the magic secret, you know, that's the magic pill. Like the reality is that there isn't a magic pill. There is not really a big secret. Fitness is really, really simple, um, but it's just not easy. And what I mean by that is that you just have to show up day in, day out. You have to commit to a process and you kind of got to do it, for, well, depending on where your start point is, you know, three, six, 12 months. And then you look back and go, oh, wow, look where I've come from. Rather than I think, you know, and this is a, a greater sociological problem, which is everyone wants everything now. You know, we, yeah. we live in a world where your phone. Gratification. Yeah, exactly. So we've got that, you know, that dopamine hit coming to us, you know, 200, 300 times a day with a little red icon that pops on the phone. People do 10 push-ups yeah. and they want to see where, where, their, where their, you know, their pecs are or run a, run a mile and figure out <laughs> when they're going to the Olympic Games. Um, and it's something that I've even seen in, in, the, in the gyms. It's like people are like, yeah, yeah, I, um, I could hit this split. Do you reckon I can go to the Olympics? And I was like, you need to recalibrate what's going on in your head. Um, because it might look like you, know, you can have instant success overnight, but Mm. physiology is physiology and skills are skills and if you want to be a world expert at anything you by definition you have to be better than seven billion other people and so it's a lot of people <laughs> there's a lot of people and a lot of skills out there but having said that the 20 if for a normal person if they can't fit exercise into their day because they think oh if we go in unless we work out for an hour there's no point because a lot of people do think that they think 45 You're minutes. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. 20 and minutes might give them that, you know, oh, we can fit 20 minutes in. So in there, you know, if they have an O wave or an O, they can be like, oh, that's a 20 minute slot. Rowing hits the target. Yeah. I mean, the, the example that I use is that you just have to, so, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a value statement, which is that you just, you have to commit and you have to do something that takes you towards where you want to be rather than away from where you want to be every single day. And the example that I always look back on is, so I went to UCL Medical School and the nearest tube station was Warren Street. 
Um, now, if you've ever been to Warren Street Underground Station, uh, you know that there's a very long escalator on each side, and then in the middle there's yeah. some stairs. And when I was a fresher, it was just because I, I and it, it starts from the fact that I couldn't do as much training as some of my yeah, colleagues could, simply because I had lectures. So one of the little ways to kind of stupidly as an 18 year old was to boost my training was that I would just walk up the Warren Street stairs every day. Um, but because I took such a detour and then I came back to medicine and I did some postgrad stuff as well, I did that for 10 years. Uh, and I, I just, I did the, the math a few years ago and I walked up the Empire State Building 50 times. No um, way. <laughs> in, in that decade. And, and all that was, was from one decision, which was that every time I saw those stairs, I would be walking up them rather than taking the escalator. And so that mindset has an infectious habit to spread into other things where, you know, people go, how are you doing? You know, you've got oh, six months old kid and you've got you know, these ventures, you're doing meds, you're doing all these, things. how are you doing this? It's like, well, it, there's no magic pill. It's, it's not that I'm doing something special. It's, you know, it's, it's 4 p.m. on a Saturday. I decided to use an hour of my time to chat to you guys. Um, there's, there's lots of little decisions that I make that when you add them up over a year or a decade, you end up at a very different place. Um, and that's what I found with rowing is that, you know, I spent six years doing some training and I got to a stage where, you know, I've said, you know, I can row 2K in five minutes and 48 seconds. And you're like, what, like, how, what? Because you just end up getting somewhere where no one else can even comprehend. Um, I still feel like I'm, I'm just scratching the surface of, of, of what's out there. Um, but it's a, it's a daily process that you have to commit to. And it doesn't have to be these massive things. It can be a 20-minute little workout, a 10-minute little warm-up, uh, you know, logging into your app or whatever it is, just a, a little micro step in your direction that you want to go to. And lo and behold, you'll end up much, much closer than if you didn't take that step. That's so inspirational. Um, a lot of... I know students would be listening to this and um, a lot of the O-Waves followers, um, I mean, coming from an Olympian and these kind of talking about the, the basics, but also kind of the mindset of how to kind of live a healthier life. Um, it would be something that I think I'm sure a lot of people will follow. So Cameron, I mean, you're an amazing guy and you've done some incredible things. And I can tell you've got that entrepreneurial vibe as well, which we all do on this clinical entrepreneur program. Um, yeah. So I'm glad to have met you. And um, to be like, fair, reaching out to you, I, I knew on the program, um, there wasn't, there weren't many of the entrepreneurs weren't looking at the kind of, you know, human performance, but lifestyle medicine and how population health at the moment, especially in the West, how it's kind of lifestyle disease, which is a, kind of plaguing our lives. Um, I mean, it's also, it, it, to me, it's an absolute, like, it, it's mind boggling to me that no one has addressed, well, that's wrong. There's lots of people addressing this now, but that it's not a, a bigger priority. Um, you it's know, we spend awesome. we spend 11 billion pounds a year on directly on on lifestyle related disease in the NHS alone. It's like this is a you, you just put all the kind of the nice things aside. Like you know, oh, well, you're a bit happier, a bit healthier. Like it's it's costing us a lot of money. Mm. It's making people really sick, and uh, it's costing people their health and their time. And those are two valuable resources for anyone. Um, and so I think, you know, as, as a profession, we need to be better at instigating what lifestyle, you know, change looks like, because actually I feel like this, this problem transcends medicine. Um, this is, this is a way, you know, the, the solution to this is way bigger than someone in a white coat telling you what you need to eat, and how you need to exercise. Um, and it's, it's something that I think is changing. And I've, I've certainly seen it in the last five years, um, in the landscape, but I hope it continues to do so.
I, I really love what you said, though, Cam, about uh, just, you know, taking it in terms of it being a process and to take that initial step, because I feel like that initial step is the is the hardest step for so many people out there. And, uh, you know, it's 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 yeah. really helpful to hear it from somebody like yourself that, you know, it doesn't have to be on an Olympic world class level that like for each person, it's relative. And, you know, something like rowing, you know, you motivated me to to get in the gym and try it out some more. So I'm certainly yeah, going to well, do it. Man. You get, I'll give you some access to rowing ward. You can do some sessions. But I mean, the, the word that I hate is tomorrow. Like that's what everyone's that everyone. Oh yeah, tomorrow I'll do that. Yeah, tomorrow. Like Tim Tim Ferriss, uh, uh, one of the people I digest a lot of content from. He's got a lovely phrase, which is that tomorrow becomes never. So mm-hmm. just start today. I mean, even if you're literally li- listening to this now at 9 p.m. at night, and you want to get you want to start your journey for fitness, just do two squats or do do a push up or you know go walk up and down your stairs at home wherever that is. Don't say tomorrow because tomorrow does become never and it's it's a habit to get out of. Totally. Very well put. And final question would be, so if there is, is someone, a young person listening to this and they're excelling in sport and academia, uh, such as yourself, um, would you balance both or would you pick one route? Hmm. <laughs> um do what excites you and i would say that there are going to be a lot of people that give you reasons why you can't do things um and i don't i've never found those people very helpful so i would reach out and if you want to reach out to me then do i can put you in touch with other people um reach out to the people that have done the things that you want to do like i keep on coming back to that there's a big population and you know we've been around for a, a number of years as human beings if you can't find someone that can give you a shining beacon of light, be like, yeah, I think you can do that. This is what, you know, X, Y, and Z, this is, this is what you need to do to achieve that. And, you know, I'll be damned. I, I absolutely think that you can um, achieve the highest level in sport um, and ha- be a, a very successful in a career of your choice. Maybe not necessarily concurrently at the exact same time, um, but it's certainly possible, like the amount of whatever doctors or successful business leaders or whatever that, that win the Olympics or are in the NBA, whatever it is, they probably exist. Um, and I certainly know Olympians that um, and people that have won the Olympic Games that have been doctors and that have been successful business owners. Um, I would just say don't settle and don't take the easy option because people are telling you that that's what's likely to happen. Just be bold dream big but then act small um because like i kind of say taking those daily steps and slowly embarking on a journey that really excites you that wants it's where you want to be going i just feel is always better than kind of settling for something and being on a journey that, that doesn't excite you amazing and brilliant to have you dr cameron um you're making a lot more waves than just in the water <laughs> I'm just I'm just living my life trying to trying to do yeah. some cool things and to spend my time how I'd like to spend it. So all good. great. I always, we love people making waves and making impact, and <laughs> someone who is inspiration for the rest of us. So amazing trademark. Always making waves. <laughs> <laughs> making waves. <laughs> Cam, where could uh, listeners keep up with you? Are you like on social media? Is there is there a best place? Yeah, to... that's probably the easiest place. So rowing wad. So rowing w o d. Uh, at rowingward and then the website is rowingward.co so not .com.co 
Uh, those are two easiest places. And then just if you Google my name, so Cameron Nichol, N-I-C-H-O-L is how you spell my last name. I'll pop up on the internet somewhere and just dive around. Awesome, sir. It was a pleasure. Uh, very informative. Thank you so much for your time. No, most welcome. Likewise, guys. Thanks a lot for your time. Amazing episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Body Clock Podcast by O-Waves. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Please also remember to download the free O-Waves app on the Apple App Store. Please tell your friends and your family. It's a great tool to help you optimize your life and to effectively plan your day. Thanks as always for listening and uh, hope you join us again next time. Thank you.